The Courage to Lead, episode 188. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Dr. Benjamin Ritter. Dr. Benjamin Ritter, founder of Live For Yourself Consulting, is a leadership and career coach, a talent development executive, a values geek, international speaker, podcaster, author, and mentor who's passionate about guiding leaders and creating a career they love. With over 10 years of experience working with clients from companies such as Amazon, Coursera, DoorDash, Google, Fiserv, Northwestern, Pinterest, and Yelp, Ben understands how to navigate any career path you decide you want to travel. Since launching his coaching practice, he's guided hundreds of professionals toward creating a career they love and has impacted thousands through his events and media content. From empowering young professionals to get unstuck to guiding senior leadership on how to stand out from the competition, develop executive presence, and feel confident in being a leader. Ben is an expert in his field and will guide you toward truly living for yourself at work and in life. Ben received his doctorate in organizational leadership with a focus on value congruence and job satisfaction and earned an MBA in entrepreneurial management and an MPH in health policy administration. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I feel like I got to get some sound effects for that. Like at <laughs> one point, an audience cheering, another point, just like some good music playing, you know, just to get the, get the emotions with them, you know, get that. Exactly. Cadence. I had one guy come on and he goes, could you introduce me again and just say, here is both. And when I did, he launched his theme music in the background and uh, that he uses wow. for all of his, yeah. So, so it was okay. fun. a lot of fun. So yeah, definitely get that, the, uh, that is get branding. the theme music <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I love, I mean, all the stuff you, you talk about, all the stuff that you do, the work that you do, um, definitely important, definitely something I, I want to dive deeper into, um, especially when it comes to things like um, executive presence right? What does that mean? How do people get that? Because that's a topic that's come up a couple of times on the podcast. Um, so I want to talk about all that, how you got your start and everything. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask each one of my guests. Uh, listeners, though, these are the questions from the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure, you know, if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Dr. Benjamin Ritter, if you're ready, question number one for you. What is your favorite word? My favorite word is, is probably interesting. I say it all the time. Too. My <laughs> wife goes, what does that mean exactly? Well, it depends, well, right? It depends it's it's interesting. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that, you know, this is really interesting. Wow, it's interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, all right, what's your least favorite word? So, yeah, yeah right. period. What, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> what so, turn, what turns you is, on? Yeah, uh, what turns you on? Oh, curiosity. What turns you off? Victimhood. What sound or noise do you love? <laughs> I immediately went to the sounds I don't like. Uh, I love the uh, waves i have to use two waves or birds chirping okay then what sound or noise do you hate 
Ooh, I'm one of those people that can hear you chewing from literally like uh, the next building over. So I'd, I'd say that chewing. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, rhymes with it and people tell each other to be quiet before it. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. it's part of it. All right. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? When I was a kid, I actually really wanted to be either a paleontologist or an astronomer. So one of those two. Still time. You know, I actually have looked up how to get a job at NASA. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I feel like, you know, you probably could pay to go on a, like an excavation. Mm -hmm. So I'm, and it wouldn't, you know, be part of Jurassic Park or anything, but I could, I could totally make those things happen. Exactly. Very cool. What profession would you not like to do? Ooh, uh, physics, like a physicist. It, it interests me and I will sit there and listen, but numbers and math, all those types of things, just, yeah, like I will, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. for me. I'll be the guy in the trench coat that's like fighting people while the physicist plots coordinates for our starship to go to, you know? Perfect. All right, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You were right. Nothing really mattered. <laughs> awesome. All right, Dr. Benjamin Ritter, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, who you help and how you help them, and at some point transition into courage and leadership. Okay. And listeners, we will talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Dr. Benjamin Ritter. Ben, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to join us on the podcast. Looking forward to talking to you. Um, before the show, I, I like to look at LinkedIn profiles and kind of read up, you know, so I know who you are, what you do, and things like that, how you got your start. So uh, you have a note that one of your first jobs was in a deli, a fast food joint. And I think a lot of people kind of start off that way. So um, what was your experience? What did you learn? What did you take away from that experience? Thank you for scrolling all the way down to the All the way down. The way. <laughs> yeah, I made, a, I made a post once because I was getting the feeling that people just didn't really understand kind of where I came from as an individual. And I thought, wow, this post should probably go on my LinkedIn profile. And so I made it, I made it, I made my jobs a job. Uh, and so I first, I started working at a, a younger age and I actually ended up going back to my parents and being like, what caused me to start working? Why did I want to go work at the local deli, like to clean tables and sweep floors? What motivated me to go be a sports counselor when I was a kid? And they said that it, it was, it was partially uh, one of my friends got a job, which was interesting to hear. And then also that I was just wanted money, wanted to work. And I knew that's where, where money came from. Uh, and 
so I learned a lot in hospitality. My parents actually met uh, waiting tables together. And so, you know, in our garage, we had an old kind of soda dispensing machine because my parents ended up trying to open up a restaurant as well together in a kind of a in the mall, one of those chain mall, uh, kind of in a chain mall and a little, little side little uh, restaurant shop. So the idea of working in food and in hospitality was just kind of commonplace to me. And, you know, I learned a lot about how to interact with people. I learned the responsibility of showing up and doing a good job. Uh, I learned how to cook a burger, but I did not learn how to cut, uh, cut deli meats because I ended up cutting my hand pretty severely having to take off work for that. Uh, but I, I'll pause for a second because I feel like I've, I've lost track of the question. That's okay. Yeah. Just, uh, what was your experience? What did you learn? What did you take away from that? Yeah. And so pretty much just that working, you know, doing a good job means that I get a paycheck and, there's ways to move up. I remember I was initially like mopping the floor and cleaning the tables. And then because I earned the trust of the owner, I got to work the grill and I got to work the cash register. And that happened in a lot of different jobs when I was a kid, you know, this little kid work. Remember I worked at a movie rental place as well. And I ended up, you know, you earn responsibility by earning trust. So that was kind of some of the first lessons. Very cool. And then if you read down a little bit further on your LinkedIn profile and I encourage people to go and read because you've got some pretty interesting things. You say you did some modeling and commercial work for various retail stores and a live cast model for Civil War Museum. And that somewhere, yep. somewhere, there are a bunch of mannequins with your face on them. That is true. Still haven't seen them. I tried going to the website. I tried doing like Google Earth or Google Images and such. I think I found them. Still not entirely sure. But I remember outside of college i was looking for jobs and it was, i would just scroll on craigslist and i would say yes to anything so if it's handing out granola bars on a street corner if it's walking down a runway a runway maybe getting some free clothes for it and getting paid a little bit of money i would say yes i did some commercials and such uh, and they were just really great experiences in terms of pushing myself out of my comfort zone meeting new people getting paid for it and having some unique stories. And I'd, I'd say sitting down in a chair and getting plaster poured over you is a pretty cool story. And it's yeah, definitely, yeah. And it's, it's just like one day of one event, one day, and now there are mannequins of me in a museum. I, I feel like I should have paid them for that story. The amount of times that I've said it, you know, in my adulthood. That's awesome. But I, I think those experiences, they, they broaden your, your scope of, of, you know, you understand then what people go through in different situations. You know, you have the stories to tell. Um, I, I think all that plays into it. You know, these people that they go from school to this desk job, they don't have as, as many experiences to share, you know? Yeah, I, w I was a nervous kid. You know, I wasn't very social. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was kind of uh, balancing between weird, awkward, geek, and athlete, you know? And, and so these types of experiences really pushed me past my comfort zone and, and taught me how to basically manage myself in any sort of situation that I'd be placed in. And I'd say even, even more so for that, when I was a little bit older, I ended up doing some kind of bar promotions and, and those bar promotions eventually led me to working as a bartender in, in, in hospitality, but those promotions, you know, I would dress up in costume characters and I'd have to run around the streets of Chicago dressed like a zombie, scaring people. Yet I was afraid right, to go have a conversation with a stranger. And so those, those experiences, those moments pushed me to not be afraid of anything. 
And so I'm able to get in front of a room now, you know, thousands of people and take them through a workshop and they'll, and a heckler will say something. And now I have these experience, you know, I've, I've faced worse, right? I've, I've, uh, I've been able to learn through experiences, how to react in situations where most people might freeze or fight. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it, it broadens you, you know, all those different experiences. So they definitely help. So at what point did you get involved in talent and career development? So I was in healthcare. I've been, I was in healthcare for about five years. At the time, I was in process improvement, was just promoted to an executive level role, uh, manage, uh, manager business operations. And at the same time, I am side hustling. So I'm running a coaching practice as a dating and relationship coach, which is a whole story in its own. And then also working as a, a bartender to, to uh, earn some extra money, kind of just kind of getting actually getting out of the industry, which I ended up getting back in to pay for my doctorate, which is where this story is going. Uh, and I was in this emerging leaders program. So I had kind of my own coach per se internally. I was taking these monthly classes on leadership development and looking forwards into my career to see, well, what's next for me here? Well, it's, it's a further role in the executive team or work at the corporate office or to work at another site. Do I see my future career as a healthcare executive? Is, am I ready to niche myself into this industry in this space? And then my same, same question for my business is something that I still want to invest in. And what I didn't share yet is I was horribly unhappy. I, I resented my work because I didn't feel like I, I wanted to be there. And so I was purposely not volunteering for work, purposely not taking advantage of opportunities, purposely not developing relationships because I had one foot out the door looking for something next and really not valuing where I was. And that was a culmination of a lot, right? There was a culmination of for two and a half years out of, out of grad school, I couldn't get a full-time job. Well, I got four different full-time jobs, but they were canceled on me uh, after signing on the, on the dotted line based due to the recession, due to pulling back of federal funding for a couple of the positions. Uh, I wanted to be a professional athlete in undergrad and that didn't happen. And so I kind of lost my dream and my passion. So I was trying to just didn't really have one, right? Kind of, I thought it was healthcare. I thought it was health policy. And then health policy didn't really work because I wasn't, it was, it felt very bureaucratic. So I was kind of in this place in my career where I, I was a professional, I was successful, but if you really asked me, Ben, did you choose the path that you were on? I would say, no, I, I reacted to it. And that built a lot of resentment for me because I felt like I didn't choose where I was. And when you don't feel like you have control, you end up blaming the things around you for, for being, and, and thinking that they're wrong. So your perception is off. It's a lot of negativity around it. And so there was one day where I was walking to work. So that close to my, my apartment, I could, I could walk to work and I was feeling the weight of this negativity and it was, it was affecting my relationships. It was affecting, it was affecting me, my, my mental health, my physical health. And I, I looked around and I just started making eye contact with people and it felt like everyone that I like touched eyes with was feeling the same way. And it hit me then. Like you are also a coach on persons on, on, like to help people find greater fulfillment and enjoyment for themselves and greater confidence. You've done this journey on your own through your own life. Why are you playing the victim? And, and so it really, it woke me up like that one instant moment, that one day, I don't know the, what caused that culmination of the events and the feelings to cause me to change that I sat down and I said, what do I love doing? What am I passionate about? What are my strengths? 
What challenges do I want to face moving forwards? Who do I want to work with? What industries do I want to be a part of? I started asking myself the hard questions and taking back control of my career. And that led me to, to really see, okay, I'm a, I'm a good coach. I like coaching. I like personal development. I want to create change in the world. Currently where I'm working, we have some, we have horrible executive leadership where people are coming into my office and crying on a daily basis. And I'm trying to kind of make sure everyone is, is, is happier where they're at, even though I wasn't. Um, I, love the, I love the role that this coach is playing with me right now. I love this leadership development program. I want to do this for organizations. And so then I actually raised my hand. I went to my VP and I said, I want to do this type of work. She said, as long as you can get your work done, you're more than happy to contact corporate and get involved. So I contacted corporate. I got involved. I started on some projects. And then we got acquired for the second time and everyone I was working with got fired and they were centralizing all my projects to, to kind of wait for this, you know, this merger to occur. So then I kind of shrugged and I go, well, if I can't do it here, I got to go do it somewhere else. And that led me to go, uh, go to get my doctorate, organizational leadership, start looking for opportunities. And about for one year into the program, I realized that, okay, I don't know what I'm exactly I'm going to do, but I know I want to do something right now. And so I, created a new business and leadership and career development, and then started operating the space. And then I've had a couple opportunities internally with organizations since then, kept growing my business. And, you know, here we are about, uh, and I left healthcare in 2018 to go full-time in the space. So, you know, four, almost five years later from, from kind of leaving healthcare and saying, okay, I'm going to dive full in. Nice. And so that's when you started live for yourself consulting, right? I started Live for Yourself Consulting while I was actually still in healthcare in my first year of my doctoral program. So in 2016. So, so you knew uh, that I started working, started, yeah. yeah, started taking some clients on. Now the business has evolved a little bit, right? If, um, I was doing workshops for some different organizations then, but it, you know, right when I could say, here's my published research, here's my doctorate. Uh, and I could, I could risk, you know, get out of healthcare at, at that point in time to dive fully in. That's when um, things really took off. Nice. And I think you're right there. Everybody's struggling somewhere in their career, right? Either looking, is this the right place for me? Am I using all my talent, you know, to a full advantage? Um, or am I giving it away, right, to this company? Um, when it comes to the career coaching and stuff, who do you work with mainly? Is it people that want to grow in their, with their current employer? Or is it people who are saying, I don't think I'm in the right space. I'm looking for something different. So I actually have a couple of different buckets. So I work with senior managers up to CEOs and work with executives. And, and that, that portion of my business kind of really took off when I, I did some work for an organization called YPO and they're a large CEO membership organization. Uh, but so I work with individuals that want to fix where they're at for themselves. And usually what that also means is I don't feel that I'm a good enough leader. So that also means fixing their relationships with their directs, as well as their perception of work, the work-life balance that they have confidence in themselves, as well as their career development within their organization. But that also eventually leads to the second type of client I work with that want to do something else. They want to grow. They want to find the next opportunity. They want to truly you know, have clarity around what they're going to do next. And at the same time, usually that means if I'm moving from a director to a VP or a VP to a C-suite, I, I need to get better leadership skills uh, because I need to be able to speak to it. I need to be able to, I need to, be able to do it. And so um, kind of all those buckets, all those couple of different buckets, basically unlocking someone's professional superpowers. Like what are you actually really incredible at within an organization, within your career? Where do you want to take that? Where do you want to go? And let's get curious. Let's put on that Explorer cap. Let's go, let's go try some things out. Let's go make it happen. Nice. Yeah. There's zone of genius. 
right? Where where do you where do you want to be? Where do you should you be? There's that um, there's a uh, what is it? Your passion, not your passion model, your purpose model that shows you know here's what you love doing, something you're really really good at, something the world needs, and something you can get paid for, right? Where all those circles yeah. kind of overlap. That's that's where you really should be working is somewhere in there. And so I I developed something similar called the career sweet spot because where you should be in your career changes depending on where you are in your career. And, you know, it's called a career and too often people are very focused on jobs. Mm -hmm. And so you have to look at the the broader picture. So the career sweet spot is, you know, your passions. So what do you, what do you think your purpose, right? Your values, Mm -hmm. et cetera, that overlaps with your skills, your strengths. So what have you learned to do over time, even if it's not what you love to do? Your passion, right? That's what you love to do. It's what you care about deeply. And then your skills and strengths. So then where those overlap, there's a little sweet spot there. But then you also have, who do I want to work with? What challenges do I want to face? So this is like the future piece. Where What experiences do I want to have? And where those overlap, then you find the sweet spot because you're confident, you're challenged, and you're motivated. And so if, as long as you can, if you can, if you can take your position right now and mold it into that little sweet spot, and constantly are you're aware of that and are making adjustments to always be in that sweet spot, you will be fairly happy and fulfilled in your career and constantly growing. Nice. I like that. So with the people that you're working with, the executives, um, what are they struggling with? Is it mindset that's holding them back? Is it just not knowing what's possible for them or what role to take? Or is it a combination? Yeah, so it is it's 100% a combination, but everyone's different. But in my experience, there were three main pillars that executive leaders tended to need some assistance in. And so those are the three C's of self-leadership. So it comes up to clarity, confidence, and then control. And so to break those down just a little bit further, peel back the onion, clarity is your like knowledge of yourself. So the knowledge of your values, the knowledge of who you are, the knowledge, and we get more specific, the knowledge of your leadership style, the knowledge of your vision as a leader. And then the other piece of clarity, which is, okay, so what are your goals then? What are you working towards? Uh, not just the broader goals, but the daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals. So that's just, okay, I know where I, what, I know who I am. I know what I want to do. The confidence piece is I believe that I can do it. So that has to do with one, hard skills and also belief in self. So for example, working with an executive right now, hard skills, they need to get better at reading emails and going over details and using Excel and PowerPoint. And these are some silly, you think you're kind of like shrugging your shoulders. Of course they do, but this is serious. An executive level role, if you miss, if you don't know how to click a link in an email to open up a document, to review it, Hmm. you're not going to be considered a successful executive. Now, uh, the other piece of that though is, does this person believe that they're capable of being in this position? So they do they understand their strengths, understand where they came from and their story? And a really fun activity is to actually plot out your career, the different strengths and different moments and milestones and turning events that you've had within that path because so many people forget over time. Mm-hmm. And then control is, okay, so I, now I know who I am. I know my goals and I believe that I can accomplish them. Have I crafted a life around myself that supports that on a daily basis? Nice. So that, mm-hmm. that means what are you doing intentionally day to day and who are you surrounding yourself with? to ensure that they're also supporting you. Like who is that, who is that community? So those pillars tend to be, tend to need a little bit of love when someone comes to me for coaching. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I, you know, it's, it's kind of like 
so I work with businesses and we put together a strategic plan. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? How do you plan to get there? And how are we going to measure your progress? We don't think on those terms when it comes to our career. We just kind of, you know, go with it. Uh, we may jump jobs, but did that really get us further along to where we want to go? Or did it take us off to the side a little bit? So, yeah. Interesting. Um, so we talked a little bit earlier about executive presence. What is executive presence and how do you develop executive presence? Mm -hmm. Great question. And I'll tell you, I mean, executive I work with doesn't feel like they're a good enough executive. So it's this confidence piece. Uh, but within executive presence are those three pillars. It is kind of worded in a different way. So the four keys of executive presence, um, I would say, are vision. So what, so who are you as a leader and how are you communicating that to others? What is, you know, and how does that align to the vision of the organization? So it's incredibly important that people understand what you care about, what to expect from you and what they're working towards and why they're working towards it. So that's vision is kind of a loaded word and yeah. it's a little bit of a definition around it. Uh, you then also have to appear credible. So people have to believe that you have the skills to do your job. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with that don't respect their leader because that leader doesn't communicate the things they're working on yeah. or the leader hasn't communicated their background and their strengths and their skills. Right. So do people believe in you in terms of just your overall strengths and your resume? And then in terms of presence, so every organization has a specific style that they work in, how they communicate, how they respond in meetings, how they respond to slacks and emails, how they dress. So when you look at your presence, your tone of voice, your posture, how you, I can't tell you now virtual is great, but if you're an executive, please don't come on in, in shorts and a dirty t-shirt. Like I've, and I've seen this in meetings, in executive level meetings, and it doesn't matter what the culture of the organization is, you should technically be a little bit better dressed than the people that work for you. So if they're in t-shirts and shorts, probably should have a collared shirt on, not, and not long sleeve, but it's just, it's a way to, to then again, set yourself apart in terms of presence as an executive. Uh, then, and the next piece is uh, reliability. So do people not, you know, this goes along with credibility. So do you follow up and do you follow through? So your, your role as an executive, and I, an, an example is if you're in a performance development meeting and someone shares with you their career development goals, when one of your direct reports shares something with you that they want to accomplish, you, can you have to almost imagine they're taking it from them and they're putting it on you. And so now it's your responsibility to follow up on and to help th support them towards that goal. And very often leaders will think, well, if I asked them about it and they shared it with me, then I know that they're working towards it. And it's not that. As, a, as an executive, there's a certain amount of follow-up and follow-through that you do that, that you will notice that other people in lower-level in lower level positions do not do. You have an awareness to tie things together, to bring people together, and to ensure that certain projects are completed. Um, and so that level of organization or, uh, I guess, reliability is incredibly important. Yeah, and I think that's key, you know, talking to your employees and, you know, asking them, what, what are your goals? Where do you want to be? You know, and if they say, hey, I really want to learn this, or I'd love to, this is my next career path or where I want to go. Why not help them achieve that? You know, it's going to make them more um, engaged in the business. They're going to take on that role, but they're also going to make sure whatever they're doing to get to that role is, is better. It just seems like it's a, a benefit to everybody. Well, they expect you to. It's not, why not? It's so if and there's, 
Like, so I work with a lot of my clients on building trust and relationships with their direct reports. And so that means one-on-ones and that means feedback. Those are, those are the two key things that a leader has to do with their direct reports to build and sustain and to increase trust. And if someone, if your direct report shares something with you and a lot of leaders miss this, um, it's, I'm, I'm sorry to say, right? They're, they're putting it on you. So when someone shares something with you that they want to accomplish, they feel you are responsible for, it is now within it's your responsibility to ensure that that happens or they're going to hold you accountable. And so you either have to tell them certain things to do and follow up on that, or you need to start, or you need to keep them updated on what you're doing to help them reach their goals. Sure. And then uh, communication is huge, right? You have to be able to communicate, like I said, share the vision that you have, make sure everybody understands that, but then uh, communicating on all levels with them. The, the one-to-ones, don't wait till the end of the year and have a, a summary review of how the year went. Talk to them on an ongoing basis, right? Check in with them on weekly basis, daily basis. How are things going? What can we do differently? How can we fix this? I think that's mm-hmm. key. And so these pillars, you can apply these for executive presence to anything. So if you're a leader looking to move up in your organization and, or looking, you know, you're interviewing outside and other places, you need to communicate your vision to them you need to prove your credibility, you need to have presence, and you need to also highlight your reliability. And it's, I'd even, I'd even say during an interview, ask, how would you define executive presence at this organization? What defines an executive leader? And can you give an example? Can you share more about this person? And that is going to set you, you know, leaps and bounds above the competition, other people that are interviewing for executive, executive level roles. Absolutely. Yeah, I always like to talk to, you know, friends that are, are going on interviews for different jobs. It's your job to interview them too, not just them talking to you. You need to interview them, ask them questions, right? Because you need to decide, is this the right place for me? Same thing during, you can take these same strategies, same thing during one-on-one, same thing in team meetings. It's how are you engaging in a way where you're finding out more about people that are around you and then leveraging that information to ask follow-up questions or to build connections. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So has a pandemic impacted career and talent development? I mean, I know a lot of businesses are struggling because there's, there's that, they've had to shift their business model now instead of being everybody you know, on deck. Now people are working remotely and they're seeing that that can be productive, right? But it's, it's changing. I think it's changing the, the way that you manage people in that virtual setting. What have you seen? Well, that is a big question. Yes. I'm a professional. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it comes easy. uh, It's so yes, the, the industry of talent development has been impacted. Some organizations are still playing catch up, but I'm curious right now because there is, there is a downturn in the economy. Usually learning and development is one of the first departments to get cut. And so I'm curious to see if organizations still invest. Problem is there's also a talent war for, for exact, you know, higher level roles, lower level roles. And so they need to show that they're investing in employee engagement and talent development if they expect to retain and to, to get that talent, to attract that talent. So it's an interesting conundrum that some organizations are in. Uh, but talent development has the responsibility of showing that they're worthwhile. So in terms of learning programmings and programs and such, they um, and, and, per, and whatever they're rolling out, you know, new hire orientation, onboarding programs, leadership development programs, mentorship programs, they have to show the impact on the ROI on the bottom line. 
And I know that wasn't exactly your question in terms of remote management, uh, but I had to mention that too. Yeah. Uh, leading remotely. And so, you know, I think the problem here is people are saying, well, what is better? And I said, no, I don't care what is better. What do you have to do right now? And how do we make that better? And so if you have, and I've been, I've been seeing clients remotely for, you know, since I started my business. So almost six, six years now, and you can build connections through zoom. You can build connections like, you know, electronically, you can uh, lead and build trust. You can ensure productivity. You can, the problem is the remote environment has highlighted the gaps in leadership that have existed. You know, you mentioned metrics and goals. Can't tell you how many, I'd say 95% of the leaders that I work with have not developed key metrics for evaluating the performance of their direct reports and don't even have them for themselves. So if you move to a remote environment where you can't just see a person every day and check in on something to make sure that they're working or that, you know, you uh, be able to evaluate their success, then you're, then you're not going to, you're going hundred percent, not be able to do that remotely. And the person that's working remotely for you is going to actually feel like they don't have role clarity and there's ambiguity around what they need to accomplish. I'm not sure if they're being successful. And then now they're disconnected and not seeing you on a daily basis. So they're going to start looking for jobs. So there, there are some huge issues that remote work has has highlighted, not created. So I think that that is a distinction. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had a panel discussion, uh, previous guests from the podcast, we got together and talked about the great resignation. I don't, I don't like that term, it, the reshuffle, the, the reevaluation, right? Because I think a lot of people are stopped and said, hey, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this where I want to be? Um, one of the ladies on the, on the podcast called it the great bite me, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't want to take this anymore. And now's my perfect opportunity to go find something else. Um, we also talk, talked about the great attraction. A lot of these people that are leaving the companies that they're working for now are going somewhere else. They're not just hiking up into the mountains to become hermits, right? They're going somewhere else. What is attracting them? And why aren't companies saying, Hey, that's what we need to do to start attracting this talent. Well, people want different things. And so what is attracting them? I think it depends. I think the reason, there's so many reasons why people are leaving organizations. And whenever something traumatic happens in someone's life, it causes them to question how they're living their life. Mm-hmm. And we had a, we are having and had some pretty traumatic experiences. And then also when someone else makes a change around us, we start questioning if we should make a change. So some people are just thrown in the towel and saying, I don't want to fix where I'm at, or I don't want to wait for where I'm at to be fixed, or I'm just ready for something new because I, I feel like my company didn't act in a way that I feel I'm aligned with during this time. So there's so many reasons why companies are leaving, but what is attracting them? You know, I, I've had clients that want to work in person. I have clients that need and want to work remote. I have clients that want to finally switch industries or to switch role types. So it really depends. I think you still have the major things, right? Comp, benefits, location, team culture. So uh, I think you probably have an increase in culture and values, but also, you know, I I did a, a research paper on this. If you have alignment of values, the need for extrinsic motivating factors increases. So you still want more money. You still want more benefits. You still want greater recognition. And so you're always going to have a balance. You're not going to have, I think one greater than the other, but the, uh, what I think is still 
an issue and something that I'm working towards solving is that a lot of people still don't think they can actually have what they want in a workplace. And so I know we're talking about a lot of people moving and changing jobs and all these types of things. I'm still seeing people on a daily basis that don't think they can even have a remote job, but you, you like, have you been reading headlines? Is that, <laughs> so it's, I know I didn't really answer your question because I think it's, it's a really tough question to answer. Um, and organizations, if they want that information for themselves, you know, that's where engagement surveys come in. That's where stay interviews come in. That's where exit interviews come in. That's where uh, having, you know, asking really being very candid in your interview process and, and then tracking that data and summarizing it and having someone, ana- you know, do an analysis around it and then discuss it with your senior leadership. And so there's, there's a lot of steps that have to take place to figure out who, who, and like, who comes to your organization and why. Yeah. 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 The interview process is key. Exit interviews. It, it almost seems like it's too late at that point. And a lot of businesses don't do exit interviews like they should. You know, so yes, yeah, stay interviews, extra interviews, 360 degree feedback. Um, you can, so there's a lot of ways to get information on how people are feeling within your organization and if how, you know, and, and why they stay, which is really. Yeah. That's one of the questions I ask. Um, if I, when I was going on interviews, I would talk to the person who was interviewing me. And when they say, do you have any questions? I say, yeah. How long have you worked here and what made you stay? You know, I want to know what what's the culture like, what are the people like, and what kept you, right? Yeah, but if you're a leader and you're you're trying to attract some talent, go to your team right now. And I mean, if they trust you, that you can get good answers from them in terms of what keeps them there, what attracts them, what are some selling points, the job and the work, what would they improve, and then say, look, I'm empowering all of you to go find the next person for our team. Yeah, I'm going to give you a referral bonus if you'd like as well. And they, people have their own networks and people are looking for jobs. And so leverage who you have and then get that data too, to help start making some improvements and show people that you're listening to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's telling when a, a company's employees aren't bringing in referrals, you know, if they're not saying, Hey, here's my friend, he wants to work here or something like that. That that's a clue. I think. Yeah. There's a, was just doing an engagement analysis and conversation the other day. And there's an issue with work-life balance compensation. And then they're, you know, would you recommend this to a friend or colleague? And it was pretty low and they're having, they're having retention issues. And it's a great, you want to get people fix the people that you have fix the environment that the people are in right now. Let's talk about how to do that. So some action plans, do some capacity planning and let's do some market analysis around comp. And then the people will bring in people for you. Nice. So uh, my wife and I are digital nomads roaming the, the U.S. Um, and it seems like that's big. I mean, after the pandemic, a lot of people said, hey, can I do something different? Right. Um, have you seen that uh, an increase in people who are wanting to start their own business and, and go digital? Um, are there more people looking for digital, you know, virtual type careers? Remote work is yes i mean exponentially i think it's exploded but i still think it it isn't as there are still people that want the balance and i so i I don't see people on the far end of the spectrum as much i don't see people that just want to work in person just want to work remote i actually see people that want to work three days remote you know two days in office or some blend of that or i want to have the option to come in a couple times a month because people want they still want connection they still want to change in their routine 
And so, uh, you know, company, and that's, it causes, it's, it's a big issue for a company. How do you then logistically create that opportunity for the people that work for you while also trying to control a pandemic in your current environment? So I also see that, you know, in, um, like an employee needs to have some flexibility around, you know, what is it you want to so start asking your questions around? Why do you really want that? What are you trying to accomplish from that? Um, and then try to then also have a direct conversation with your employer and realize that if you're not sharing what you want, you're never going to get it. Yeah. And yeah. if the answer is always no, if you don't ask, right? always no. And that, that's actually the biggest issue that I'm seeing with individuals is they're afraid of what's going to happen if they share how they want to work. And I'll tell you, look, if your employer is not going to help you work the way that you want, and you're not going to, you know, be help them know how you want to work, the result's the same. They're going to leave, right? Or you're not going to be engaged. So either one of those, the employer doesn't want. And if you're looking for a job, if, or if you think that the job that you want isn't possible, then I'll challenge you and tell you that for every job that you, that you want, there's someone doing that job mm-hmm. that exists. And if it doesn't exist yet, you can talk to an employer and they'll create it for you. That's the job market that we're in right now. Awesome. Yeah, that's good advice. Well, so, I actually want to want to share with you, and this is yeah. the problem. If you're an, if you're an employer right now, and you would change how you treat someone if they were willing to quit, then do that thing for them now. Do it now. Yeah, don't wait. And I and I've I've had I've had a lot of clients who have I you know we get to the point where well, if you're ready to leave, let's go start negotiating. Because if you're going to leave anyways, let's negotiate first. And I've, you know, I've had, I've had clients who were told no by their organization that they couldn't move somewhere internationally because you couldn't have a work visa there. Then that person put in their two weeks because we said, okay, let's go. We have another job opportunity and the organization made it work. So if you're, if you're, if you're listening right now as an organization and you have the ability to make things work, like realize that you're, you're, and you would change, you would give someone more money. You would give them a job title difference. You would let them work in a different place. Give that, give it to them now. Don't wait for them to be out the door. Cause then by that point, you've already lost trust in them. They've already disconnected. They've already disengaged. They've already been working for probably at least six months at a lower capacity and a lower rate. Yeah. Think about Do that. Do something now. Absolutely. Well, and then there, like you said, the ripple effect, if somebody leaves everybody else around them thinks, wow, maybe they saw something I didn't. Maybe I should take advantage of this time. So yeah, it could have negative impacts all the way through the business. So let's talk about courage. Where did you find the courage? You had some pretty good jobs working for all these different companies and stuff. You said you weren't real happy in the the medical medical care area. Um, But to, to step out and do things on your own is scary for some people. Where did you find that courage? That is such a good question because I wonder this all the time. And uh, because I was all, so I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I was an undergrad and that failed uh, pretty spectacularly. And I was left, you know, two days before my 21st birthday uh, after having hip surgery, realizing that I've kind of probably, probably have one more chance that might not work. And when I lost soccer, I lost my, I kind of didn't really have as many friends, but I lost my friends. I lost my identity. I lost my passion. I didn't really know what I wanted to focus on, where I wanted to go in life. 
And throughout that time, my courage was invested completely and solely in the pursuit for this sport. Right? Everything and anything, I was no holds bar and, and no matter if anyone said no. And so uh, again, I can think a lucky moment. I decided to put all that courage into developing who I was. So I said to myself, okay, I don't like who I am. I feel like I'm awkward. I don't have any passions in terms of career. How do I change this? And I just started researching and fell in love with social, uh, social behavioral psychology and developing myself and realized that if I wanted to, to, to figure out who I was, I needed to go put myself in situations to figure who th that person out. And so that courage came from this curiosity and this decision to, to grow and to put myself in uncomfortable situations because I held myself back from them for so long. And when you put yourself consistently in new situations that are uncomfortable, you become courageous because you realize that there is literally nothing wrong. There's nothing that could happen that is going to be significantly bad. And so you realize that the return on investment of doing those things is worth it more than waiting. And I think that that experience has, has led me to, to basically empower myself to do anything and everything that I've ever wanted since that point. Nice. And now you help others find that curiosity in themselves. Yeah. And I, part of it is never giving someone too much power over you. So either that's just through perception. Like for example, I believe I can always get another job. Great. So I can go in and I can actively or having multiple streams of income, right? Or having financial security, right? Having a cushion, right? Or, you know, having a huge friend group, you know, despite just your partner, like there's this, this way to balance your life, not just per, through perception and mentally, but through the environment that you build around yourself that can help support that courage. Very cool. So how many people do you have working for you? I'm a solopreneur. I, I sometimes hire some, some marketing associates or some graphic designers and such, but yeah, I'm, I'm on my own, you know, managing a nice 15 to 20 client load base and this, uh, the big project over at the life sciences company out in California and do everything kind of, kind of might, might get to a point where I have to bring people, but there's a great book called the company of one, which I, I kind of abide by just in terms of my personality. And my father was an entrepreneur who built homes and had a hardware business on his own that I'd go help nice. out with. And I think it's just kind of ingrained in me. Nice. But before you've had people reporting to you, right? In your different positions. Um, yeah. So direct reports. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, with the, with the workout in California, I hired two training managers too, but that's, that the internal work I kind of disconnect from the, uh, you know, external coaching right. in right. uh, workshops. So if I was to bump into any of the folks that um, work with you currently or have worked for you in the past and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I am a curious and I'm a curious coach, honestly, a curious, curious directive coach as a leader. And so I care deeply about the people that work for me. I understand that my job is to support them and to guide them as well as to not choose how they work, but to help develop how they work. So to leverage their current strengths and their preferences to help them grow into whatever career that they want to fashion for themselves moving forwards. So I want to help them think that everything is possible. I want to help them solve problems. And I want them to, to really realize what their strengths are and to believe in themselves. Nice. 
So if, if that curiosity and, and empathy and, and things like that are your strengths, uh, do you have a weakness as far as your leadership? I'm a little stoic. Yeah, so I, I need to be a little bit more expressive and charismatic at times. And I also, I'm pretty concise where I, I don't believe in saying things just to say them. And in leadership positions, at least in the leadership circles that I'm around, not saying things can mean that you're not engaged. And so there's a, a, a need for me in terms of a weakness of being more charismatic. So showing emotion, sharing emotion, and then also feeling, you know, saying things a little bit more to show that I'm fully engaged in everyone's progress. Did you have a leader in your past that you kind of model after? Somebody really stands out? Just honestly, my dad, his hard work, his dedication, um, his ability to connect with others when he wanted to, even though he's, uh, he's a little stubborn at times. So I think I've learned how not to be that way, right? A little takes things sometimes. You know, there's not just one way to do things. So you have to allow people to do things their way. Yeah. But I haven't really had, I've had some leaders that I've, that I've really enjoyed working with, but I can't say that I've role modeled myself after any of them. That's fair though. Um, so what's next for you? you? You were talking, you have a book you're working on? Yeah, I need, I, I have, not need, but I have some words I want to put on paper. So I'm about halfway through a book. Uh, I have another idea for a book that I want to put together, which shouldn't take long. That I probably might hire someone to assist with. And then a lot of what I'm currently doing, but on a, I wouldn't even say grander scale, just consistent because being consistent at it. Um, I'm, I'm personally interested in two main industries right now. So I think over the next couple of years, I'll probably move into more like an advisor uh, role within the, so there's the CPG. So like health and wellness products category, uh, mostly focused on food. And then also the uh, like psychedelic therapeutic uh, industry. So I think there's some huge movements and growth in both of those industries that I want to be a part of. Thanks. Very cool. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming out and, and talking to everybody and stuff and, and sharing. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you or learn more about you, how can they do that? What's your website? Yes. So go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com, liveforyourselfconsulting.com. If that's too much to remember, go to lfyconsulting.com. Both of them will take you to the same place. Right. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Dr. Benjamin Ritter. I post podcasts every week. I have a podcast called The Executive. I have a podcast called Live For Yourself, Revolution. I have a podcast like this that I'll post and share and a bunch of other content. So come check me out, connect, send me a message. Very cool. That sounds good. All right. I will have all of those links in the show notes for everybody. And again, Dr. Benjamin Ritter, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you, coach. All right. Uh, listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of good notes. Make sure you check out liveforyourselfcoaching.com. And uh, all the other stuff. Yeah, there's some good information out there on your website. You do have a, a free download, right? An ebook you've got available on your website too, so people can check that out. Um, so yeah, listeners, hope you're taking notes, uh, share this with your family, friends, and colleagues, and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan. Saying so long for now. Bye.